0: amen. Well, listen, it's wonderful to be here today. Nate is at the young adult retreat. He's not a young adult anymore. I keep telling him, but he is speaking. That's his only way to get in now is he comes as a speaker. So he and my daughter and the kids are all uh, over there. Uh, my name is Dale. Some of you don't know me. My uh, uh, Nate is my son-in-law. He married my wonderful daughter. I am uh, in the middle of some civil litigation with them because uh I don't believe she should have to take his name. I think she should be Kristen Sutherland, so I'm suing to try to get her to require it. She's not quite complying either. But listen, the uh, you know, I had an uh, interesting or weird life. I, 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 w- I had two jobs uh, a lot of my uh, life. I was a D.C. policeman. I worked narcotics. And at the same time, I was also a pastor uh, at a church here locally at McLean Bible Church. And so I was doing both those things, and uh, yet... you really want, when you're doing your work, you really want to do it really well. And, and I was thinking on some of those great moments, I had uh, had a search warrant. We had a search warrant for a place. There was one group of uh, guys they'd come down from New York, and when they would sell uh, marijuana out of houses, this is when it was still illegal, uh, when they would sell it out of houses, uh, they would make it really hard for the police. And so they would put uh, big metal... Uh, doors, like to seal the doors, and they'd seal it on the backside too, so that in order for us to make entry, we would have to bring the fire department with those big saws, and we'd have to cut through it in order to get in, and by then, of course, they've gotten rid of the drugs. Well, um, I thought they were a little overdramatic, the fire department and all those guys, so I had told a couple of the young guys, I said, hey, let them do that on the front door, follow me, we're going to go around back. I was going to show them how a real tough guy enters a place, so we go and uh, we go around the back, and sure enough, uh, in the back, there's a, more, a little bit lighter uh, metal covering the doors. And so uh, I, of course, don't need a battering ram. I don't need any equipment or anything because I got this. So I leaned back, and I kicked the door uh, twice and uh, just long enough to get one of those sheet metal screws right through my foot. Uh, And so we did get the door open. By this time, of course, the team on the front was already in and searching. I was late. We go in, and instead of looking like this brave woman, I go in holding my feet and about crying. Wasn't exactly the kind of work I was trying to do, you know? And then I think about my preaching, my other side. So I'm preaching, and I'm listening to sermons. So one time, I was uh, driving and listening to one of my own sermons, which course, you can imagine I would do. No, I was actually just trying to say, you know, let's make sure I didn't screw up too bad. And so I'm listening to the sermon and uh, I uh, found myself falling asleep. (laughs) I figure if I fall asleep during my own sermon, so maybe neither area was exactly the masterpiece that I had, had hoped for. And then God comes along and he says, no, even though you know all your faults, even though you know all your frailties, all the things you wish you did better, all those things, God says, no, you are my workmanship. And not only that, but I could have chosen anybody and I chose you. I brought you in. You were the one I wanted. And he calls you his masterpiece. So let's read it together. You guys have been in the study in the book of Ephesians. Now Ephesians is a really interesting uh, book uh, because it's written uh, to the church in Ephesus, and Ephesus is a very central part of the New Testament. Let me explain to you why. We got a little map here uh, that'll show you where it physically was. But picture that uh, as you read these uh, these words, understand that. Uh, these folks uh, were, uh, you've been watching the Turkish earthquake and all, we need to be praying and seeking the Lord uh, as we hope that the gospel spreads in the midst of of times there. They're sending home people that show up with Bibles, even the aid workers or whatever, they're actually deporting them. Uh, So it's a really tough place to serve the Lord, but we're praying that God will get the gospel out there. But anyway, so there, uh, that's where Ephesus is. If you look there, I want you to picture the kind of people, and that it was a different language. They're reading this to them, but um, Ephesus, the city, is super important. Let me explain to you why. It is uh, not only just the book of Ephesians; it's several of the chapters in uh, in Acts are written about Ephesus. One of the uh, most powerful chapters, chapter twenty, is written about his leaving of Ephesus. Then we have uh, First and Second Timothy. First and second, Timothy, that was written to the pastor of Ephesus, so also written to the church at Ephesus through the pastor. And then, uh, I do that all the time. It's just a quirk I have. Uh <laughs> First, second, and third John, all to the church at Ephesus, and then a revolution, Revelation uh, is also written at the start there to the church of Ephesus. So this is a very central church, a very central place, and God was doing great work in this big city of Ephesus. All right. So as we've been studying, what we've seen is that it uh, that the uh, that the story. <clears throat> is focused on uh, uh, this letter and as you've been studying last week about the grace of God that uh, saves souls, okay? As he continues this thought, he continues it by uh, emphasizing or clarifying even more uh, that this is all done by grace. So let me read to you verse 10. And I'm gonna read to you out of a different version, but we'll have it up here on the the screen. Uh, It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, that is uh, an understanding of what he said. Now, I want you to get, there's several things. Let's break down the verse together. Let's first look at we are his workmanship. Okay, his workmanship. Picture this. Uh, this isn't the kind of thing you see very often. But when I was a kid, they would teach you how to uh, whittle and how to make a uh, a wood uh, object and try to make it into something cool. So, this would be uh, a workmanship, a work of art. And and to understand the word that he uses here is the word for poem. Isn't that interesting? The word for poem, it's the same word we use for poem. Uh, but God's poems, they're alive and active. It's human poems. Uh, don't compare. Uh, God is seeing human beings, the ones He has called, because that's the context. He's saying, "I called you out. I I brought you to faith." In the same way, He says, "You are." He continues to say, "Not just saved by grace, but you're actually my workmanship. You're my work of art. You're my uh, poem." Um, now, look. This is important. I'm amazed by the Grand Canyon. I I, I am absolutely amazed by God's beauty. I'm amazed by the mountains. I'm amazed by the the water and the ocean. But I am more amazed by you. And this is the way God is. Listen, people are his poem. As much as God... uh, is honored by the beautiful mountains and the scenery and the, man, the ocean, the uh, universe, you know, just incredible, right? But let's understand, would God love nature more than a child? Of course not. I mean, it's wonderful to see mountains, but mountains can't praise him. You're the only ones in the whole universe that can ever give him praise. You are his masterwork. He doesn't say this about the ocean. He doesn't say this about anything else. Nature can't praise him. You are the one. Listen, think of it this way. Uh, a kid who says thank you is a great kid, right? You all love that. I was with my little grandkids last night. We get some, and I'm poking them. Thank them, thank them, thank them. It's just not quite the same, right? If the kid on their own says thank you, it just, it opens our, This is what you are to God. You are the ones. Yeah, can I do that? Well, not that they aren't enjoying the. Set aside, okay, good. All right. So you guys are the ones that God has uh, made as his masterpiece. Uh, think of it this way. The brand matters. Think of this. If you are his masterpiece, it also means that you were made by the right brand, by the right one. Now, when I was getting ready to retire from the police department, uh, we would worked narcotics. And uh, the, the guys I worked with, a lot of them, they, they like to spend money on really expensive shoes and stuff and coats and, you know, I didn't do much of that. So when I retired, they thought it was really funny. They bought me a pair of Gucci shoes. Now, uh, this was my retirement gift. Aren't you supposed to get a watch or something? I didn't get that. I got a pair of Gucci shoes. So I laughed and I said, but let me tell you something. Gucci shoes are different than the shoes I buy. There's no difference. I'm telling you, they're 10 years. Those things still are fantastic. It does matter. Brand does matter. It does matter. (laughs) Who made them does matter. You know, I, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen President Bush, he's uh, done some painting. Uh, and I tell you the truth, uh, I don't think he's a great painter. Uh, I, I don't think he's the best painter I've ever seen. But if it had George Bush on there, I wouldn't mind having that painting, right? Increase the value a bit. A bad painting painted by a foreign president is suddenly a great painting because who made it? And this is what you gotta see. You are, what does the verse say? God's workmanship. So you get elevated. Right away because of who made you. How about this one? Then we got created in Christ Jesus is the next phrase we see here. Created in Christ Jesus. Reborn from above. The Greek gives the idea. Ready to be used. Renewed. Spiritually transformed. Created in Christ Jesus. John Piper says, I pray that you will never grow weary of exploring and exalting in the inexhaustible privilege of being in Christ Jesus. This is an incredible thing. You were created in Christ Jesus. Again, by the grace of God, as we see in verses 8 and 9, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that New New Testament Christians, throughout the New Testament, in other words, are constantly being exhorted to realize the privilege of their position, to go forward in your Christian life in a triumphant manner. And I know how you are. You are like me. And you know how sinful you are. You, you know that you're falling short. You know that there's all these things you wish you'd do. You... But in that fight, in the midst of trying to walk with the Lord Jesus, let's never forget what he has done. See, this isn't a praise of you. I'm not saying that you are wonderful. But what I am saying is you're made by a wonderful God and he has made you wonderful because you're in Christ Jesus. We must spend more time in the privilege of being his. This would be a foolish thing to miss. I'm afraid that in the midst of this attempt to want to walk with the Lord, that we lose out on the grace of the Lord. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I have now a bunch of grandchildren. And uh, these grandkids, I uh, want them to work hard. You know, I want them to be good kids. I want them to, do, But I also want them to know uh, that they will always be loved by their father and their grandfather. They'll always be, always be. It doesn't change, does change. Nothing changes because of my relationship with them in the same way they must understand. Picture this. If a kid walks around, uh, there was an old story that I think is always helpful. I share it very often, but uh, a kid's on a farm. Uh, he's horsing around. He kills a chicken on the farm. A uh, chicken dies. <clears throat> he uh, realizes, man, I didn't mean to kill the chicken. He's now going to get in trouble, so he digs a hole. He, he kills, uh, uh, plants a chicken. Goes back to uh, dinner, and his dad says, hey, where's that chicken? Long story short, he gives it up. He confesses, he snitches, he tells the story. I killed the chicken, dad. So he kills the chicken. His dad says, hey, shouldn't have done that, son. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry, dad. So he says, okay, okay, forgotten, no problem. Well, the next day, he's, uh, uh, the dad's out. He sees the little boy, the little boy's carrying around dead chicken. He said, "Hey, son, what, what are you doing there? He said, "Well, I shouldn't have killed this chicken. This chicken was a uh, good chicken. I, you told me not to kill chickens, and I here I am. I killed this. He said, "Son, I told you yesterday that I forgave you that. Now take the chicken and put it back in the hole. Everything good. Next day, sees a kid crying in the corner. What are you crying in the corner about? What are you? What's upset? With you? Well, I'm upset because I killed a chicken. Now you know where I'm headed. But doesn't it sound like your relationship with God a lot of times?" Don't you end up spending more time talking about the chicken you killed than you do about being in the privilege, the priceless privilege of being his? And do we each other, do we give each other that confirmation, this break, so to speak, because of who you are in Christ? Nothing to do with the human being. All because of the grace of God. As stupendous as the grace of your salvation is the grace of your sanctification. Enjoy the fact that you have the priceless privilege of being created in Christ Jesus. He sees you as his masterpiece. Greater than the Grand Canyon is the way he looks at you and your heart, life, work. And then he says, for good works. The idea here in the Greek language is the divine aim of your life. So once you get saved by grace, you have like a view to good works. person comes to faith, and on this side, they're looking forward to good works. Okay. Prepared beforehand. So by grace, you do good works. So even post salvation, you are recipient of grace, just like salvation. This is why it is so silly and human. I know why it happens to, uh, to think so highly of great, uh, Christian authors or great Christian speakers, uh, if you find yourself, uh, there'll be a line wherever a famous writer, a famous preacher, people who want to meet him. And, and this is fine, uh, but but the, the problem would be uh, that I really love the one who wrote the book that changed my life. You feel what I'm saying? I can like the preacher, but what I really like is the message the preacher was given by a grace-giving God. You see what I mean? Always we're focused on the one who. Who did this in them? Even the work, even those I'm uh, studying the uh, or listening to the book of, uh, it's called uh, uh, God's Smuggler, Brother Andrew. This guy who would uh, sneak um, Bibles into uh, behind the Iron Curtain in the 1950s and 60s, and I mean, this guy lived a, a, a powerful life for Christ, and so I could listen to him and I could think what a great guy brother Andrew is but you know what God really wants me to think and certainly there is a place for that but what God really wants me to think is what a gracious God that he saved brother Andrew and then used brother Andrew to help all these other brothers and sisters this is the way God looks at us the way God even sees our good works so even our good works are not for our praise our salvation nor good works is not for our praise determines This is an important part to understand about good works. This is an important part that he says and he includes in this verse. He says, when you are saved by grace, things change. For you are saved by grace, not by works. When you're saved by grace, you're saved by grace with a view to good works. So here's what you know. And if we look at Matthew 25, you guys know the parable of the talents. Let's look there real quick. The parable of the talents here, I'm just going to give you the Jesus is, um, this is a very important little parable. All these parables, so powerful. Uh, this this parable, Jesus is walking up on uh, the Mount of Olives and he's sitting with the disciples. Probably at this point, just, uh, just Peter, Paul, John, just gathered a few of them. And as they're looking, they can see the beautiful temple right across from them uh, on, on where they're perched on this mountain. So as they're there, and then that's when they say, Matthew 24, when they say what's going to be the, uh, the end and how you how they're going to know. And Jesus gets all these illustrations with this view in mind, okay? So as he's there and he's talking to these guys, he says, let me give you, just to give you a good understanding, let me give you a, uh, a story, a way to explain to you uh, how you should look at this fact that I'm going to return. Here it is in Matthew 25. He says, again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, by the way, you are his workmanship, You are his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. This lets us know that he's talking to Christians too. He's not giving an illustration about all of humanity. Uh, This is George 3 that are calling themselves his servants. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, or talents, your version may say, and to another one bag. Here's the interesting thing. Each according to his ability. God gives ability with with, uh, the gift. He gives the ability to do it. Then he went on his journey. This is obviously giving a picture of when Christ was here and then he leaves the apostles and he goes on a long time away. He's the master. He's going to return. When he returns, when he returns, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now it's very important that you look at the results of this work. Why do I say that? On one hand, you're telling us that we are um, privileged people; we are God's masterpiece. We're God, but here's what He's saying in the parable of talents. He's talking about those that are in the church, that are religious, that are around this. But in fact, uh, there are some who do not know them. And one of the ways we can tell that, Jesus says, by your fruit you shall know them. In other words, one of the ways you can tell if you're a believer is is how you look at the Savior and how you act. There will be change in the life of those that come to Christ. And then we look at the results of the work. And when, in Matthew 25, the master comes back and he sees the guys with the talents, he says to the guy who gave five, he said well done. And then he says, a beautiful thing. He says, enter into the joy of your master. What a wonderful thought. Then the, the, the one, even though he only had two, he said, you got four now, this is great. You did what you were supposed to do. And so on. And then the last one, he sends them to judgment. What happened? Even though this one was in the church around him, was calling himself his servant. He in fact, didn't believe in him at all. As you hear in the story, this is an important part for you to understand as we talk about work. Work is <clears throat> you are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. And one thing that will be for sure for those that are that is that they will have works to fruit to show that. Let me explain to you, though, what that fruit may be. So the first way we do this is I'm going to give you three reactions to these wonderful verses. Here's what we do. One, enjoy the sky, not the mirror. Here, here's why this I say this. The focus, as I talk about his work or his workmanship and his masterpiece, is not you. The whole Bible is just a written record of God's activity with men. See what I'm saying? So so rather than you, I know what you're thinking as soon as I start preaching this, you're looking at all the things you've done or not done or what should you do and you're thinking I I, I don't have to talk to five Christians to find somebody who is always struggling to figure out what their purpose is you know what it is is there something greater or whatever I want you to get this there's a current wave of Christian preaching that points us towards destiny and you've got to know your destiny and then some guy will give a testimony and he'll say God told me this and God told me that and then you're sitting there thinking well my destiny is changing diapers today Uh, my destiny is Going to work or else, what what am I supposed to do? Where is this great destiny? And you may miss the point. Enjoy the sky, not the mirror. In other words, don't keep looking at yourself wondering what it is. Look to the Savior. Look to the sky and say, I am God's masterpiece. He is the one at work in me. And he is fully capable of placing you to do the work that he wants you to do. The point of this verse is not to get each of us to contemplate our particular work in the world he didn't listen when when paul wrote this he didn't write this god didn't have paul write this so that he would create a, a conundrum for all people he was writing it as an encouragement to them show them what god's grace doing and saying god will do it through your work as well you see the difference. He did not, uh, he's, God is not a God who has the, uh, you know, three shells, the shell game. And he's trying to get all Christians to try their whole life to find out which shell they're living in. So am I doing the right thing? Am I doing, stop that and look at the, the, the heavens. Look at this great God. And you will see him lead you. You will see, enjoy the amazing grace of amazing God. Secondly, enjoy your work, not someone else's. Now there's a, a guy I envy. Uh, he's on a board with me. Uh, this guy uh, went to a Harvard undergraduate. He was a normal guy, but then got a normal family and got into Harvard undergraduate. Went to Oxford. Um, went to Oxford for his graduate school, and then he's had a life in business that is, you know, just unbelievable, just unbelievable. And we're on this board. I mean, the guy has. Seems to me he's. It's very easy me to say for me to say. I kind of i like to be him. You know, obviously he has lots of gifts and lots he can offer the Lord and everything. Here I am. I'm having trouble. I, you know, I had a 2.6. I had two sixth 2.6 grade uh, GPA in high school. This, this is where I'm at. This guy's Oxford. I'm thinking I barely got through high school. And this is the truth. So how can I, I enjoy, it's hard for me to enjoy my work when I keep looking at this guy. See what I mean? Now, really, to me, uh, I'm a good American, so I figured this all out. I, I wanted to play for the Baltimore. If I was really who I should have been, I think I should have played for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I should have served in the military long enough to uh, uh, be more decorated than Audie Murphy. And if you don't know, Audie Murphy is the highest decorated soldier in American history, and Google it. Uh, I wanted to preach to millions like Billy Graham, this great evangelist. I should lift more than Olympic weightlifter, and I should be able to do it all in Spanish because I ought to be fluent in two languages, at least. So why, why is this not the case? Here's my problem. I'm afraid that Christians have a hard time living in the life God has given them, in the life God has given you. You know, my brother Andrew example is he was born in a place That was right on the border of this terrible thing of communism. He was born in the midst of a war. He was um, uh, raised, and he was perfect for what God had for him right there. I want you to understand: you're not alone. We all feel this pressure. And as Americans, listen—it's a—it's a a weird thing. As Americans, uh, I used to be a youth pastor, and then the kids would, when they got to junior and high school, everybody's question to a kid in junior and high school is, "Where are you going to college? Where are you going to college?" We're going to college. And as soon as you're halfway through college, what are you doing now? What are you going to do? Are you going to marry somebody? Are you going to be a king? What are you, you, know, what are you going to do? Uh, God forbid they say they want to be a plumber or something. Listen, this, this, everybody, the pressure. So one way you say it's bad, but then you might say, well, they don't say that to a goofball. You know what I mean? I mean, they don't walk up to the, it's an honorable thing that people care, and we want to do well, and all, all that's good. But I want you to understand, uh, we've got to watch adding extra pressure to find out God's work for us. uh, You don't need necessarily a more wonderful calling. You need a more wonderful appreciation of God's work in your life and in others. Let me give you the third practical way. Enjoy your destiny daily. Enjoy your destiny daily. So I had this Aunt Bessie. Uh, My Aunt Bessie was kind of a grumpy woman. She uh, was my dad's oldest sister. And she would yell at all the other siblings. He had nine siblings. And every time you go to Aunt Bessie's, uh, she didn't smile much. She yelled at her husband most of the time and told everybody what to do. And I always thought it was kind of funny because I'd go there, and my dad, who had bossed me around, was getting bossed around. So I kind of liked that part of going to see Aunt Bessie. But she was a nice lady and uh, Christian all. But here's the deal. My Aunt Bessie never became a preacher. My Aunt Bessie never went on a mission trip. My Aunt Bessie never did anything other than raise her kids and try to reach those in her family. And so she would write letters to my dad when he was in the Army. He was 20 years younger than her, and she she would write letters. And through her letters, he became a Christian. And because he became a Christian, I became a Christian, Christian Christian crew became a Christian, and this church is here because of Christian and they, you follow what I'm saying? all because of some woman who you will never meet and would never think she was so wonderful. But she was doing what God asked her to do in her family. She witnessed all nine of them, and I think about three of them really came to faith. But it's important to see this. The ant message, enjoy your destiny daily. I wonder what God thinks about us wondering about our destiny all the time. I wonder if he wouldn't say, but haven't I given you plenty to think about? haven't I given you plenty to do, plenty to apply? I mean, is it really that you need to know whether or not you're supposed to be in real estate or teaching? Or is it really that I've told you how to be the best real estate agent, how to be the best teacher, how to be the best mom, how to be... You follow know what I'm saying? We may be too overly emphasized on this destiny, this this uh, when we have God's work right in front of us. <clears throat> It wouldn't do me any good if if one of my grandkids uh, wanted to play in the major league so bad and really stayed at baseball and we would certainly encourage and work hard and all that, but he was unkind to his siblings. He's a bad student and a rotten person. You'd say, well, that ain't good. We don't want that. In the same way, the most important thing you do will not be uh, some great outward thing, most likely. It is going to have to start, it is gonna to have to start with you being his workman destiny daily. It is you walking in the destiny God has given you. Here's what you might do. You might share the gospel with your kids. Say, I want to share the gospel with the whole world. Absolutely you do, and you ought to every chance you get. But you could share the gospel with your kids. My daughter showed me something I thought was great. They said, with a little toddler, if you count how many times you share the gospel with them, uh, if you did it once a week, 52 weeks, and you add that up, you've shared the gospel with your kids a whole bunch of times. But how about others in the world? Maybe I had to look at my friends, and I, had, I did that same exercise. I counted up. So, well, I could say something about the Lord once a week. If I did that once a week with certain friends of I don't know Christ, maybe over time the Lord could use it. So anyway, maybe that's one way. How about this? <clears throat> Being kind at home. Really interesting in uh, 1 Peter 4.10. Time to go there now, but in 1 Peter 4.10 where he says, you'll have this gift, and then God will give you the strength to serve. And you know what he says he encourages there? being kind to others in the body. Shouldn't he have said, go to, you know, West Africa to go serve? Isn't that, isn't that what he should have said? No, no. He said, be kind to those in the church. This would be the ministry. So, so here's what you want to do. Maybe you want to earn money for others. Maybe while you're working, you want to take a little extra time at work or you want to um, budget better, or whatever, so that you could earn more money to give away. See, this would be a tremendous thing. I was just with a brother in France who has planted a church there, and they have this little church doing outreach there to refugees. Very hard work, uh, very little uh, interest spiritually, but such an important work. And uh, he and his wife are living on 36,000 a year, very happily serving the Lord. Well, you know, a lot of us could help them you know, as an example. You see what I'm saying? You could work and invest. The work of City Light here is for us to empower brothers and sisters around this world and locally to make a difference just like the one I just talked about. So we can give here. We can be a part of it. We can uh, earn his work. And it's one of the fun parts of being a church plan and being a little bit smaller place is that you can really make a difference here. You know, you've got to think about what are the ways that God has given me that I could help. Look, City like Kids downstairs, we're struggling to get enough people every week. And all of it, listen, this is not for all of you. The last thing you want to do, can you imagine walking downstairs and seeing, you know, 10 guys look like me watching your kids? I mean, it's the last thing you want, right? Let's be for real. What you really want is, you really want people who are really good with kids. You really want to, so, some of you, listen, I know you're with kids all week and you do it as a living and you do it but you're the ones we need at least some of the time, but we need 10 or 15 people that'll be committed to helping those little ones learn about Jesus every week. Maybe it's going on a mission trip. Maybe it's uh, looking at the mission trips we have and talking about how can I do that with my family, and then we sit down as a church, we try to figure out how we can get that. Maybe it's your giving. Maybe you can give more and make more of a difference for Christ. you see what I'm saying? Look at your destiny daily. Maybe it's right in front of you. Maybe it's right in front of you. All right, here's the last thing I'll tell you. I always like this illustration. You know, if you take a basketball and you put it in my hands, it's just a piece of rubber with uh, lines all over it. I can't do much with a basketball. But if you take the same basketball and you put it in Steph Curry's hands, oh, that ball is something of magic. Now you take a baseball and you put it in a major league pitcher's hands like Nolan Ryan, who threw that same little ball, this little ball, and he could make it go so fast and twist and turn and do all these things, and he could do it. He did it for over 20 years like that. That guy, with a you give him a baseball, he can make it something great. Mike Trout, my greatest uh, greatest player in baseball now, you give any one of you, I can hand you a big piece of wood like he carries. I could hand you the piece of wood. You'd do things with it. You'd swing it. You'd have fun, but... It's not magic. But you put that bat in Mike Trout's hands, he does things that nobody has ever done before. Here's what I'm telling you. Your life in your hands is nothing special. But your life in the hands of the Savior is magic. You are his masterpiece. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, O Lord, by your great grace... With all the ups and downs and pains and difficulties, with all our questions about what we didn't do, should have done, would have done, Lord, may you deliver us from that. May you instead, Lord, forgive us, clean us, purify us, give us the strength, Lord Jesus, to see how we can live out your destiny daily, right in the life you've given us. Lord Jesus, may we trust you with our lives. Trust you that you have a view to doing great things even in us because we are your workmanship, your masterpiece. Each individual life, each individual person, more of a miracle than the universe. All that you've done in each one, each DNA different, each fingerprint different, you care for each one. No matter what, what we're suffering with, no matter what we're enjoying, wherever we're at in our life, Lord Jesus, you, you, oh Lord, are the reason we are here. You can take us. You can take us to the next step. You can give us those works that you prepared beforehand just for us. Created in Christ Jesus. O Lord, may we lift you up now as we worship you. May you be honored as we study and think together about your great wonder. May we look at the sky and not the mirror today. In Jesus' name, amen.